Hello, romantics. I'm Sarah Gomez, author, romance lover, and host. You're listening to Romancing the Story, a podcast centered around writing, reading, and story structure, all with a twist of romance. We're at episode 52, and on today's episode, I chat with author and editor Megan Tatey about publishing her debut novel after eight years of writing, revisions, and queries, and how it shaped her journey as an author. Plus, we chat about the importance of writing themes like grief, burnout, and finding your own path to fulfillment. The same themes in her novel, Super Bloom. If you're interested, links to connect with Megan are listed in the show description. I do use some Amazon affiliate links, so if you buy through the link, it helps the podcast and is always appreciated. Megan was in the querying trenches and understands firsthand how grueling and discouraging it can be. If nothing else, I hope anyone listening who is looking to get their novel published persists. I hope you keep at it. I think the world needs more stories just like yours. Switching gears a bit, I hear from authors all the time about the struggle to write a solid blurb for their book. It's the first impression readers have of your story and helps represent you as an author. What if you could learn to write highly marketable book blurbs every time? What if you knew exactly how to capture readers and make them need to buy your book? Allow me to introduce Book Blur Magic, a complete system for self-publishing authors, copywriters, and freelancers to write book blurbs that sell. Created by our friend Jesse, who was a guest on the podcast, of course, Book Blurb Magic is your solution to creating eye-catching book descriptions that hook readers in and convert clicks to sales. The course has bite-sized video lessons explaining key blurb writing techniques, downloadable cheat sheets, and PDF templates, plus much more. The course is already super affordable, but if you use the code ROMANCETHESTORY, you'll get 10% off the course. That's ROMANCETHESTORY in all caps. Visit bookblurmagic.com to get started, and links and details will also be available in the description of the episode. With that said, let's jump right in. Welcome author and editor, Megan Tatey. Yay! (laughs) Thank you for having me. Well, and Megan, I'm so thrilled you get to join the show because I know, uh, like we were just talking about just a second ago, that you have, uh, you've been kind of busy with a book tour with this awesome debut that you have. So in case listeners don't know, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and your writing? Yes. Um, So my debut novel is called Super Bloom and it came out on May 2nd. It's my first book. Um, super bloom is about a massage therapist named Joan Johnston, who's about to get fired from her job at a spa in Vermont. And she's grieving the loss of her love. And she's got one chance to save her job. And that's to get a glowing review from just like the world's most demanding client, famous romance novelist, Carmen Bronze. 
Carmen breezes into town and sets Joan, I will just say in a new direction without giving too much more away. Um, and it's funny and tender and, you know, all the things that I love reading in, in fiction. And, um, my day job is I run my own writing and editing business called WordLift, which I've been doing for about 12 years now. Yeah. Well, and I bet that helped too with a little bit on the writing side, right? Yeah. You know, my whole life has been steeped in writing and words from when I was very young. I loved to write. My grandmother gave me a typewriter when I was eight and I would peck away and write these little stories. And I joined the journalism staff when I was in high school and then I went to journalism school and was a freelance writer and journalist for many years and worked in the nonprofit world as a writer. So every part of my professional life and early passion was writing. Um, when it came to writing a novel, it was a completely different beast and I had a lot to learn, but I could string a good sentence together. So that was helpful. <laughs> You know, and that's what I've heard from um, authors who are also editors is that sometimes when they're writing, they have to turn off their editor brain in order to like really write the story uh, and give it the due service it deserves. Yes. So. Yes. That's so true. And I was also really used to writing, um, you know, nonfiction, writing stories and and quoting people and not making things up. Um, so that was new for me um, and learning story structure and and then once I was in the story and it was in it for many years, um, I couldn't see where I was going wrong. And, you know, we might get into this at some point, but I ended up tapping, you know, freelance editors along the way to help me because I did feel like I was so, you know, I had my blinders on and I couldn't see where were the threads, um, what, what was I losing? What was not working? You know, they call it the messy middle in the middle of a novel and why, you know, why was it strong in the beginning, strong at the end, but not in the middle? And I was working on figuring that out. I love that you mentioned that too, because I think sometimes as authors, especially if we're writing our like debut, like our first book, a yes. lot of times we get into it and we think it's just going to flow, right? It's just going to come out of us. And then we hit that, like you said, the messy middle. And then we're just like, well, we have to bring in help. And it, it's great to bring in that help too, because sometimes you need it. You can't see the forest through the trees. Yes. Yes. It's really true. And I think. <laughs> I think, you know, we we kind of get hit with these overnight success stories, whether it's a writer or, or anyone. And so we imagine that that's what it might look like for ourselves, that we're going to write this book. It's going to be fast. We're going to get swooped up right away. And if that doesn't happen for us, then it means that we don't have the skill. We don't have the talent. But what I think we don't hear about as much is the actual real toil and grind and rejection that goes into so many books and to being an author. And the idea that a lot of authors actually have either one novel or many novels in a drawer, and that's actually quite normal. It doesn't mean you're not good at it. Um, it just means that you're learning, you know, you're learning as you go. And it that was a quite a, a humbling um, experience for me. I kind of went into it thinking, I'm just going to, you know, writing comes pretty easily to me. So I'm just going to knock this out of the park and I'm going to make some agents day and we're going to be off to the races. And that was not my experience. 
Well, and you know, you bring up a fabulous point because with your debut novel, Super Bloom, congrats, by the way, <laughs> uh, the novel explores themes of hope and grief and rebuilding a life. And I heard this book had a winding and unexpected path to publication um, from draft to uh, from what we see now at this final version. How long did it take and what did that path look like? It took about eight years. Um, and it's not because I was sort of like writing every single day on it, but the idea for the book um, hit me when I was getting a massage at a spa in Vermont. My husband took me on a surprise trip and I had my face in the face cradle and was um, there was a body worker working on me who was pretty grumpy. And I was sort of like, what is, you know, what's her story? What's going on with her? What, oh my gosh, I I began to cast her as a character and the whole novel was sort of flowing through my head. And I walked out of that experience thinking like, maybe I could write a novel. You know, I had started dabbling with fiction, but I didn't know if I had it in me. I didn't have the confidence I, I just sort of thought like, who am I to write a book? Um, which is a, an experience I give to my character, Joan. And, you know, I was taking some writing classes locally and I worked on the novel for about a year. And then I queried agents and was like, okay, this is, we're doing this. And I had a couple of referrals from friends and I just thought it was going to be quick. I heard nothing from no, from no agents. I didn't get any responses. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I, this is, I have a lot to learn. Um, and that, that just set me on this path. And at the same time, I was running my own business full time and then had my two kids who are now four and seven. So they're still quite young and really writing the book around the edges of my life for a while, you know, like half an hour here, an hour on the weekend. So it was slow going. It wasn't until I think 2019 that I got really serious again about the book. Like, okay, I, I'm i going to really buckle down. I'm going to study fiction in a different way. I started taking more writing classes. I started reading about story structure. You know, I, I was years into writing this novel and I'm only just looking at the three-act structure and citing incidents. You know, not that my book needed to be cookie cutter how other books were, but I needed to know why were these breakout novels a success and what works and what doesn't, what are the rules so that I know why I'm breaking them or not breaking them. I formed writing groups. I started listening to podcasts on how to really query an agent, you know, like I was just doing all the right things and it was still slow. You know, I queried, I got 15 full requests from agents and I'm thinking it was the fall of 2019 going into the pandemic, but no one offered representation. And that's when I brought in another freelance editor to say, look, I'm hooking people with my query letter, with my opening pages, but something's not holding And what is it? At the same time, I got a rejection, a beautiful rejection from my now agent who said, I think you have a stakes issue with your character and I can't figure it out. Meaning the stakes aren't high enough for her and I don't know how to crack it. So I'm reluctantly passing. I cried 
And then I took it to my writing group and was like, ladies, I have a stakes issue, you know, and it's so I, you know, those sometimes you just get rejections that are form letters. And sometimes you get these little kernels that give you some insight into what's not working. And it, it's so helpful when you get that from an agent. So I think I worked on it for another nine or 10 months and went back to her again the following fall and said, hi, I know this is uncommon that they'll read it again, but would you take a look again? I took your advice and I think I think I cracked it. And she said, I'm so happy to see you back. Yes, send it to me. I sent it to her. Four months go by. And, you know, for, you know, writers who are listening and are in the query trenches, you know, it takes a long time. It's a really, you have to be really patient. Four months went by. And at the same time, I was watching Zibby Owens start her publishing company. And I've been listening to her podcast and seeing her grow her, you know, media empire. And I was really impressed. I had a connection to her, um, a referral to her. So I sent my manuscript to her unagented. And six weeks later, she um, and her team and my incredible editor offered to acquire my novel. And I went to that agent and said, "Um, I have a book deal. And she said, give me tonight. (laughs) So she read the book overnight and, um, and it all came together in one week and it was a total dream. But it took a really long time to get there and a lot of rejection and and self-doubt along the way. What what a fabulous uh, opportunity you had to get like feedback from an agent. Because like you said, sometimes it is just a form letter of, you know, thanks, you know, thanks, but no thanks uh, of that. But you, I, I love that you had the wherewithal and the tenacity to take that piece of feedback that you got and then just said, okay, how do I make it better? Because I think sometimes all we hear is the negative as an author and we don't know what else to do with it, right? Yeah. And you, and it's okay to sit in that for a little bit. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's rejection on any level is so hard, especially when you've put this so personal and they say it's not personal, but it is so personal to the writer and you do feel the rejection as it's just not good enough. And you think that it is, and you can't figure it out. Um, But what I what I started to really hear over and over again is that the writers that are on our shelves today are the writers that persisted. They're not even always the best writers. They're those the ones that faced a lot of rejection and just said, I still want to keep going and I'm going to keep trying, whether they put the novel away, which is what I considered doing for a while, or they get the feedback and and keep going. And it is hard, but I'm so glad I keep kind of thanking earlier versions of myself that I didn't give in to that because it's really easy to do. You mentioned that you didn't want your book to be cookie cutter and that is not at all how I would describe the book. So how many versions like from like the first version to the final version we see out now, how many edits did that take? Like how different did that look? That's a great question. Um, I like to print my my books out, my versions out as I go, because I like to read them sort of spiral bound. And I think it's like, you know, it's a huge stack. Um, I, I think that the kernels, the very, the essence of what I was going for, 
um, are still very much here. And even, you know, lots of sentences and things like that, but it really, it changed a lot. And there were, I made, I don't want to call them mistakes, but I had to change. I decided to change the tense. I changed. (laughs) It was third person. I went to first person, which are laborious things to change in a manuscript. I cut a character. Um, So there's just so many things that I changed and it's got stronger as it went. Super Bloom, there's a, it's a nested book. So you get a novel within a novel and you get to see what my character Joan is writing. And for a, a long time, I was just um, describing what Joan was writing to my readers. And my writing group came back after reading those pages. And they said, you know, this is boring. We're so sorry to say this is not, we don't, it's not engaging us. We want to see what Joan's writing. Don't just tell us, show us. And I was so bummed, you know, I was like, gosh, I, I'm years into this thing. This is the last thing I want to do is write this little itty bitty novel within a novel. I know that hooking readers on one book is already hard. And now I have to hook them again, different novel, a slightly different voice. And I just didn't know if I could do it. I'm so grateful I had a writing group. I'm so grateful that they gave hard feedback. That's hard to hear because I went back, I I worked on those pages. It did so much for the book and it really allowed me to sprinkle in all these details about Joan's past romance without getting bogged down in backstory. And honestly, it, it, um, it gave me a little more confidence in my own skill as a, as a writer. So but that wasn't always in there, you know, so those things kind of develop as you go along. Well, and I think when I wrote this question, I was, that was what I was most curious about is because you did have the novel, like you were saying the novel within the novel, which I was just like, you did it so seamlessly. And it did tell me so much about Joan and her headspace and like her as a character, you know, um, writing almost this self-insert uh, romance for herself. Like it was so interesting. And, and like I said, you did it so organically, I almost feel like it, it was always a part of the book, but I felt like it wasn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad it's working. I, I, I know that sometimes that can kind of alienate writer readers because they're already invested in a story and now they have to turn their heads to someone else. Um, but I'm so glad I did that. And I think writing books, I keep hearing you know, feedback from readers, like I read your book in a day, or I read it in a a few days. And writing um, books that are super fast and easy to read is is challenging, (laughs) you know, to make it seamless to make it feel like it's just effortless is is quite hard. Um, But I'm so glad that people are having that experience while they're reading the book. I had the same kind of experience because I found myself like, okay, I have like 10 minutes before my kiddo gets out of school. So I better, or I want to kind of read what goes, what's happening next. So it was one of those books. That's just like a wonderful, heartwarming, you know, uh, journey of self. And it's a great beach read, uh, hilarious, a lot, so much, so much more funny than I expected it to be. And I found myself giggling. So it was, you did so well balancing all of that. And I found, you know, did you, did the comedy bits come organically? I always ask that because I know sometimes comedy is really hard to write. 
Yeah, they. <laughs> I love writing funny. Um, they do. It comes organically. And in fact, one of the things that I had to work on with my editor was defunnying the book. You know, because sometimes it was like joke, 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 joke. You know, and <laughs> that. Um, is tiring for a reader when it's so witty that you kind of are like, oh, <laughs> and you just are waiting for a different type of emotion. Um, so we wanted to be really strategic around taking the reader on an emotional journey, whether you're laughing or you're feeling like you might cry um, and that the the calibration had to be right. So it couldn't just be pages after pages of jokes. So we kind of went through the, the manuscript and said, what is really landing? What are the jokes and what are the moments that are the funniest? And what can we lose um, and and sort of not even miss it anymore? Like, what are we fine with? And, you know, that those it's always hard to make those cuts. But in the end, I, it's, I'm so grateful for that because I, you know, I have read books too, where there's, you know, you just know the writer's so funny, but you're also kind of exhausted by the wittiness of it. And I didn't want that to happen. Um, so, so yeah, but I'm so glad, I'm so glad you laughed. That makes me so happy. Uh, and I think a lot of authors go through this process of, should I pursue traditional publishing or self-publish? How did you know which path you wanted to pursue for your novel to really make it bloom? You know, I, I think there was, I had a few moments where I thought, you know, should I self-publish? Um, I really wanted to try traditional publishing. I wanted to see if I could make it. And not that one is better than the other. I mean, there are incredible writers who have self-published and are doing really well. Um, I think for me, the learning curve on that to make it go really well felt sort of daunting. Um, so I, I didn't want to wade into that territory yet, not because I felt like traditional is better than self-publishing. I'm really grateful that I'm with Zibby Books, which sort of, you know, straddles a couple different worlds. They're in, you know, an independent publisher, a small new publisher. They only publish 12 books a year. So each book that comes out is sort of like the lead title. And they get all the attention from the entire team. And, you know, the team, it, it, there's a lot of really talented people working um, on the team. They're incredibly creative and innovative and, and willing to try new things. Like um, on the back of the cover is a QR code. And readers can go into bookshops and they can scan this code and go into this portal of all this information about me, the book, um, fun quizzes, extra material. And it's just so engaging for the reader. And even if you're sort of just debating, like, do I want to buy this book or not? It kind of is a, a nice portal into deciding if this is the book for you. They were just willing to try that. You know, another thing that they're doing that's different is they are really, they release the hardcover and the paperback at the same time. And normally hardcover comes out first um, and it's out for a year if you do hardcover and then you go to paperback. And the team was sort of like, why? You know, why are we doing that? A lot of times hardcovers price people out and they think to themselves, oh, I'm going to wait until the paperback comes out. And then they forget and they don't end up buying it. And so they said, we want to we want to just meet readers where they need, need it and where they want it. 
So let's give both options, which I thought fantastic. Um, so they're, they're doing all sorts of innovative things. There's a really lovely camaraderie to all the authors. Um, many of us are on chats and texting each other and supporting each other as we go. Some authors have published before others are new <laughs> and have lots of questions as you know, my journey. Yes, it took a long time, but if I had published earlier, I wouldn't be with Zibby books. I wouldn't have met my editor. So I'm just, it's like, you know, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. And that feels really good. Well, and I have to say, I'm so impressed. Like everyone at Zibby uh, that I've talked to has been amazing. They're so sweet. And it was really cool because I, I actually got the audio version too, the audiobook version. Cause I was like, I got to hear this in audio now. So I listened to it in audio as well. And like um, the founder, of Zibby Books actually did a forward. And I was so impressed because she said she really believed in this book and everything. I thought that was lovely. Um, and that audiobook was amazing too. So oh, thank you. It was so, it was so such a blast to choose the audiobook narrator. You know, we had, I think, seven auditions, and to hear this five-minute clip read by all these incredibly talented narrators and how they would portray Joan and do the voice of Carmen. Um, they were doing this scene where Carmen <laughs> is getting her massage from Joan. I think it's chapter three. It was so fun to hear, you know, how everyone was making them come alive it, and just, wow, like this is, this is real. It, there were so many moments that felt surreal along the way, you know, getting cover options, having this happen. Um, the woman who narrates it is Marnie Penning. She's incredible. I'm so proud of her work. So I'm so happy to hear you say that because she did such a great job. Kind of going back to what you were saying about like, it was the right time, you know, the right place, you know, finally, after all this long journey, the book itself is such a wonderful nuanced approach dealing with grief throughout the novel. And now more than ever, I think grief is a really big part of people's stories, especially, you know, given the last couple of years. Not all paths of heartbreak look linear and match up with societal expectations, which is established pretty quickly in the book and throughout. Like, why did you find it such an important thing to write about grief, burnout, and self-growth? I think when we hear about um, heartbreak and a, a partner dying, it's often when when someone, when a couple has been together for many years, you know, and I wondered what it would be like to, you know, Joan loses her boyfriend, Samuel, only six months into dating. The reader meets her two years later, and she's still feeling the grief of that. And I wondered what, it, what is it like to finally meet someone? You know, we've got these two quirky characters, Samuel and Joan, they fall instantly in love. They see their paths unfolding They've got all the emotions of new love. They're, they don't even want to bring anyone into it. You know, that they haven't met their families yet. They're just like so pumped to be together. And then Samuel dies. And Joan is left holding the bag and holding all of those emotions. And I am sorry to Joan, but I was sort of like, what I want to explore what that feels like. And there's a sort of double whammy because no one fully appreciates and knows their story. 
she doesn't get a real label as a widow, a fiance, uh, you know, a girlfriend of many years. She was just so new. So she doesn't get the recognition. Her grief doesn't get recognized. And she's sort of almost her head is spinning. Like, did this even really happen? Giving her that pain allowed me to then turn to the art of writing and this idea, could I not not only tell my story, but could I give my story to new characters, to fictional characters who stand in for us and write the happy ending that we didn't have in a different way that feels fun and fresh and new because journaling about my grief, writing about our sad story is just too painful. Um, so, so that's sort of where I went with it. And what I'm hearing from readers who are really appreciating that part is uh, permission to grieve no matter what the relationship time frame was, no matter how long you've been grieving for, no matter, you know, I was talking to a woman the other day who was like, I, I met this person on a bus, you know, so briefly, and then they died a few days later. And I never, you know, stopped thinking about that person. And it can be just a tiny amount of time where someone really, you know, touches your heart and impacts you. And, and to know that that, like grieving that person comes in different forms and shapes and is okay. You know, like moving through grief is going to look different for, for everybody. So I wanted to kind of write about that. Well, and I think you did it in such a a beautiful and like I said, a nuanced way that I just don't see too many people approach, especially with a short time frame, like you were mentioning, like there's not a real label you can put on it, but all no, all Joan knows is that it was a profound connection yes. and that she grieved for it and the future of what it could have been. Yes. And yes. that, and that was something that I thought was so beautifully done and just something we don't really talk about ever, you know, and I know, especially in the workplace nowadays, you're kind of just expected to get over things like that and just yeah. be right back to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, when I met my husband, we've been married for, oh, he's going to, you know, he's always, he knows the math better, better than I do. I think 12 years. And when we met, we just knew right away. It was just like such a great connection. And six months into the relationship was quite a long time for us in some ways. You know, it we had already been through a lot. We had established a lot. We were really looking forward to the future. And that new love too, like so much is churning through you. And um, it's that time that's like never repeated, you know, in in a courtship. And had that ended for for me, I, I would have been just in Joan's position. You know, I would have been devastated not knowing, not being able to see that relationship through. So I kind of was able to cast that feeling into her, even though I hadn't experienced that sort of partner loss. Yeah. And I love that you approached it with Joan also writing her own novel, because I think that's so true, especially now I have had yeah. so many authors, like new authors and talked to so many, um, authors who are starting out who said like around 2020 was that time where they said, listen, if I'm going to get my hands on a keyboard and I'm going to write something out that feels cathartic to me, I better do it now. You kind of integrated it into your book that as a big part of the plot was 
authors, I think really now, especially new authors, we're seeing that used as a form of catharsis for how they're feeling. And especially those who grieved a lot, I see that they are going into um, genres like romance to give themselves yeah. an happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, just like I said for myself, there was a process for me to to even say out loud, I think I want to be a novelist. You know, it felt really absurd to say that, to give myself that label. And I kind of kept waiting for someone to tap me with it and to bestow it upon me. And Joan um, also goes through that process of, do I have to wait for someone's permission to call myself a writer? When can I say that I am? Is it in the act of writing? Is it when I gain some sort of you know societal success or approval? And she's kind of contending with that. She also has this early love of writing that kind of gets tamped down for reasons that are explained in the book and then begins to reclaim it for herself. And whether she's, you know, aiming to to publish a book or not, or what is this really going to look like in the end, that the act of writing allows her to say, like, this is actually, this is part of my identity, and I'm going to claim it for myself. Um, and I, I hope I've been hearing from from readers who are saying, I'm, this is inspiring me to get back to writing and to to say that this is what I do and what I love. That's so awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome to hear that as like a writer. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you have this relationship building and aspects in the book uh, that feels so detailed with a lot of consideration and fleshed out to like those characters and how they interact with each other. It's encouraging to see support outside of the protagonist where she can find her people and understand, you know, that she does have the support system available to her. Was it always intended to include those relationships in your novel? I really wanted to build a very quirky cast of spa characters around around Joan, you know, and the spa setting and the people who are drawn to work in it really, you know, gave way to a lot of humor and funny, interesting characters. Um, so it was always my intention to sort of build that around for her and to guide her to realizing if I want this, I have friends and people who love me around me. Um, and I need, I now need to step toward it and embrace it. And then also do the work of being a friend um, because people are extending themselves to me and I need to extend myself back. Part of the wonderful editing experience with my editor was taking each of these characters and really fleshing them out so that they weren't just one dimensional, you know, just like, you know, this character Lou, who is a body worker and very spiritual and, you know, wears his vest to open with, you know, he's just like a feather necklace, but like, okay, those are funny things, but also what can we give to Lou that allows him to be other things, not just a joke, not just, you know, like, how can we build his dimensions. Um, so we did that sort of character by character and, and then, you know, that they were already in the book, but she was, my editor was sort of like, okay, now let's build on them. You know, what do they each love to do? What's outside of work for each of them? And some of that 
some of that thinking and some of that writing doesn't ultimately even make it into the book. It's not a waste of time, you know, just for emerging writers to to hear that it's not a waste of time to write some of that stuff or to think about those characters in a deeper way, even if you don't use that content, because it, I think it does bubble up, it does come through, and it allows the characters to seem more real, that they're not just props, like I'm not just moving this character here so that my main character can experience this or this. Joan experiences a transformation over the course of the book, and it's hard to write a transformation. You can't just sort of say to your reader, Joan is transforming now. Joan, you know, (laughs) Joan's having a thought. So characters around her give her an opportunity to show transformation, whether it's her best friend Cher, who is giving her feedback she doesn't want to hear, and then she has to decide how to take that feedback whether it's um, a new friendship bubbling up and she has to decide how to support that person or not. Those are opportunities that allow my readers to see Joan transforming without me just telling them that that is happening because no one wants to be told that it's It's so boring, but I love, I love writing those characters. It was such a blast. And it was so nice to see her realizing how, how much, how integral they were to her, right. That they had been there to support her, even though, you know, I think grief has us sometimes pushing people away and how much they were there as her support system and to, you know, help her. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it was, yeah. And I love, I love that you mentioned too, that you used it as like a transformational piece to show her. Cause I did see that throughout the book. It was, it was slow. It was steady, but you show her slowly accepting the way that like at the Christmas party and things like that, wanting to stay and wanting to interact and see everybody and participate. And that is, um, I think that is a big step in the right direction. And then we saw her grow throughout and it was, it was beautiful transformation that you did. And of course, since we're on the topic of transformation, self-growth is a theme in the book. We love it. (laughs) We love self-growth, self-growth. Um, as someone who has been on a harrowing journey bringing this novel to the masses, what's one of the self-growth moments you've had as an author? Oh my gosh, there are, you know, there are so many. I it's it's funny because I think I think we think once the book gets published, it's a party from here on out. And I I hate to say it, but being on the other side and having your book come out, the entire this entire experience is fraught with rejection as much as it's a celebration. And whether it's you know an author who decided not to blurb your book, or um, you see a friend's book on a on a really incredible list of summer reads, and you're not on it, or you know it, the whole thing is a roller coaster of emotions. So all those little (laughs) moments that are happening in the day to day allow the, allow these self-growth moments to be like, Oh, that feels a little tender. And also, but also this is an incredible experience and connecting to gratitude for what's happening, not carrying a sort of scarcity mentality that, oh, that person has this, now I don't, that it's great for everyone. 
So those are, you know, those are places where I'm really having to go into my sort of own practice of gratitude. And I think even self-love, you know, like there's, this is, this is hard, no matter if you're querying and getting rejections or you're at a Barnes and Noble book signing and, you know, five people come, you know, it's, (laughs) and then, but then also the next day, you know, you incredible things happen. It's, it's an up and down. So learning how to ride that journey in a steady way is something that I'm working on. And I think I'm just getting better at day by day. I guess that's my, my moment, you know, it's happening now it's happening, you know, in these weeks as, as this is unfolding. I think you bring up a great point. It's super important to know is that even when you have uh, your book published out there in the masses, you know, and it's readily available for readers. You've been, you know, you've queried, you've done it, you finished that piece of it. There's still this a little bit of imposter syndrome almost, you know, like that you you compare yourself to other people or like it's it's there still of like questioning stuff, you know, because I think people, a lot of authors in particular think once you get to that finish line of publishing, that's it. It's done. Right. Exactly. You know, now it's the success. Now you get to ride the success. But then you see other friends, like I've seen several author friends who've gotten several books written out since I'm still working on mine yes. and gotten awards or yes. have um, gotten uh, some kind of deal, whether it's with an agent or their audio rights or anything like that. And it's just, you know, in some ways I think it gets in our heads, but then they yes. always tell you, what is the saying? Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Yes. So it, it's, it's super true. important. Yeah. It's true. And I think um, no matter what stage you're at in the writing, it's sort of connecting back to why you want to do this in the first place. And it's something my husband always helps me with in moments where I feel a little bummed by something, or this isn't, you know, what I hoped it would be, or I'm getting rejected, you know, when I was querying. He was like, look, you you love to write. And I do. My best days are when I've touched the page in some way, even if it's been 30 minutes and, you know, my kids are watching a show and I'm dashing upstairs and I can get out a few sentences. I feel like I'm a better partner and mom and person in the world. And it's not about, you know, what list or the accolades. It's about my connection to the material and how that's feeding me and what that does um, for my day-to-day. So reconnecting with that, I think is really important no matter what stage you're at. Trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just trust the process. And I try to remember to, I try to remember to just enjoy this moment right now, right? For what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've talked so much about your lovely debut, Super Bloom. So where can listeners find your book and how can they connect with you? I'm on Instagram at Meg Tady, and my website is MeganTady.com. And I will be doing, I'm on tour, a lot of different places around New England and LA and Colorado Springs this summer, um, Vermont. Um, and my book is everywhere books are sold. Fantastic. And where's the best place to follow you? If like, cause I know you might have another book coming out, right? Yes, yes, yes. I, ha- I sold my second novel um, to Zibby Books. It's called Champions okay. for Breakfast. 
I believe it's coming out uh, winter or spring of 2025. And um, yeah, follow me at, at Meg Tady, Instagram. Thanks so much to Megan for joining the show. Be sure to follow me on social media at Romance the Story. That way you can keep up with new and prior guests as well as episodes to come. And if you're enjoying the content, please follow, share, or leave a review. It greatly helps the podcast. As always, stay safe, be well, and keep writing. Bye!